Welcome to the Radical Lifestyle Podcast, brought to you by Generation to Generation, where you'll be inspired by the past, equipped for the present, and prepared for the future as we engage in conversations with people from around the world. If you've been inspired by the guests that we've had on the podcast, please like, subscribe, comment, hit notification bells, whatever you can do on the platforms that you're listening on, so that more people have the opportunity of hearing these and engaging in our community. Hello everyone, this is Andrew and Daphne. Our guest today is Jonathan Miles. Now Jonathan, for people that don't know who you are, could you just say a bit about where you're from and what you do? Yeah, I'm an American, uh, last uh, 30 plus years working uh, in Israel, based in Jerusalem, and uh, the Lord seems to have given us a calling to help connect the wonderful hospitals and doctors in Israel with the people around the Middle East, who uh, many of them are living in places without advanced hospitals, living in places where life is devalued, where nobody cares about the life of their child. Uh, and then to be able to say, you know, the, the one country that's willing to do something is the one you've been taught is your enemy, the people of Israel. And um, to bring those kids, we bring them for heart surgeries to a couple of the big medical centers in Israel and to see the way they are embraced and respected, that each life is treated as created in the image of God is uh, mind-blowing for our neighbors and so joy-giving for, for us and for the Israeli people. Um, my feeling is this connects somehow with their, their, their first covenant. I will bless you and make you a blessing to all the families of the earth. And even today, even if uh, among the majority of our doctors probably are not believers in the scriptures, but... Uh, something in their DNA really lights up when you give them the chance to do this. So it started uh, almost 30 years ago and haven't been able to stop yet because it's it's been such a blessing to see. Mm. And uh, for people that listen to this, they really like the work that you're doing. I know we were talking before we started recording, you said sometimes you have people come out and, and help and volunteer. And uh, where could people find out more about what you do? So probably our website is the easiest access point. And uh, so our community is called Shevet Achim. Many of you will recognize that's uh, Psalm 133. Behold, how good and pleasant when brothers live together in unity. And um, so we're giving the people of Israel that opportunity to see their Muslim neighbors as brothers. And then we, volunteers from the nations, are coming, and uh, we're, we're seeking to live this and model it ourselves. We're living in community, sharing meals, having everything in common. We're all living to the same level. And um, so our website is simply shevet.org. It's S-H-E-V-E-T dot O-R-G. Okay, and uh, I'll get that website. I'll put it in the description box. So for anyone listening or watching this, uh, it's there ready for you to go and check out. Uh, Jonathan, you said you've been there for about 30 years. Uh, what's some of your background? Uh, where did you grow up in the U.S.? And uh, then how did you end up heading out to Israel? Yeah, I grew up uh, initially in Colorado and later upstate New York. And um, strong believing family, kind of a nice balance between uh, conservative, Biblically speaking, but uh, touched by the charismatic movement back in the 70s. So, you know, expecting God hears our prayers and might show up and answer them. <laughs> and, uh, 
Um, so good background, but as I entered my teens, you know, um, the church at that time, for me, it wasn't a place where one could openly deal with sin issues. And uh, so, of course, I had issues of lust. I was exposed to pornography. And uh, I really felt I had no option but to, you know, keep that hidden and to sort of live in some shame as I would struggle and fail and struggle and fail. And uh, I think the Holy Spirit convicted me on multiple occasions, go, go talk to your friend, go talk to your parents. But I never felt the liberty to do that, um, which is such a crippling thing for the church. If, if the church isn't the place we can be real with each other. Um, so things sort of went from bad to worse. I, I finished university. I was married. Um, went into journalism, local television journalism, and I had some vague ideas of bringing righteousness through exposing truth, and probably mostly I just wanted to see myself on television. And um, but it finally came to the point in mid twenties. My heart is getting colder and colder to the Lord. I'm less and less used to anybody in this world. But finally, I, I came to this juncture, and uh, I knew enough to pray, Lord, I, I'd like my life to mean something for you. And uh, that prayer changed everything. Uh, the immediate response that I felt in my spirit was, okay, if you want that, go confess all of your hidden sin to your wife. Wow. <laughs> That's the one thing I've never been able to do with anybody. But uh, uh, praise God, you know, and this is his work. It's not ours. He gave me the grace and the faith to do that. And my wife gave me the grace to forgive me. And we were both baptized and... Uh, I said, okay, I want to go serve the Lord. What do I do next? I guess I better go study the Bible. So where do I go study? And somebody named a seminary out on the West Coast. And um, we packed up the U-Haul and went across the country and uh, started studying the, the Bible. And uh, that's what really put me on the path to the Middle East, because I really, for the first time in my life, was getting into the Hebrew prophets and... and uh, I was kind of stunned again in the sense, you know, what the prophets are describing is what God is showing up and doing in our generation. This is amazing. <laughs> and uh, I'd never realized uh, so much uh, of how the, the whole story of salvation is, is founded and centered upon uh, from beginning to end, the people of Israel, and how much we had entered into their story and how dramatically God was working in their lives today. And... Uh, one of my classmates there was a messianic believer from several generations, and he helped open my eyes as well. God's spirit is moving upon the Jewish people. So first chance I could get, I wanted to go visit. Um, I did, and as I mentioned, I, I felt like a complete outsider. I went from congregation to congregation, visited some ministries, but, you know, what what can I do here? There's, I have no special connection or qualification other than my faith in the Messiah of Israel. <laughs> um, but one night again in prayer, I just prayed to the Lord, uh, is there something in here for me? Why do I feel so uh, my spirit quickened when I, when I look at what you're doing here? And uh, again, I felt a clear, a very powerful response somehow in my spirit. And it was three words. Uh, will you come? And, um, 
my heart leapt at that and uh, called my wife and she agreed called and quit my job and um Next night I came up here to Jerusalem and the uh, reality started to set in. I was sitting looking over the old city and the Mount of Olives and uh, thinking, oh, wait, oh, what are you doing? You have no money. No one's sending you. You have no visa, no home, <laughs> nowhere to work. This is your wife's about to have your fourth baby in, in about a month. So um, all the reality set in, the fear rushed in and um Thank God uh, the words Jesus though, came in as well and, and and saved me in that moment. And they were, of course, the simple words, seek first the kingdom of heaven and its righteousness. And your father in heaven knows what you need. He will take care of these things. And he gave just enough simple faith to say, all right, if you're calling me, I'm going to trust you. I have no idea what we're doing or what's going to happen or why we're even coming, but uh, but we'll come. And uh, that's how we got here. So what job did you have that you quit? A, when I went to, um, first I was a journalist until I left and went to study the Bible. Uh, after two years of that study, I had taken a job as a teacher of religion in a, a Lutheran high school in New York City. So okay, hundreds of kids, maybe... You could count the number of believers in that school on one hand. So it was a great mission field, and I really loved the kids. So it was hard to leave, but felt that's what the Lord was saying. Mm. So there you are. Um, you're answering the call and said, yes, I will come. Uh, do take us on the next step. <laughs> what happened next? <laughs> So I went back to pack up my family, and then Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait. This is the summer of 1990, and uh, uh, it became pretty clear that war was on the horizon and that Israel was going to be a target. And um, so again, that, it helped so much that the Lord had spoken clearly to me. So we came. Uh, we came through that war. That was the Scud missiles, you remember, landing all over Israel. Uh, our little baby was born a couple weeks after we arrived, and they were giving out not only gas masks, but a special gas tent for babies. <laughs> so, so we uh, we came through all that. Um, it wasn't easy. Did you uh, come as a visitor? Did you come as a tourist? How did you enter the country at that point? You know, God provides, because I... Um, well, I had no qualifications for this. While I was on my first visit, I... I came across a story of, of a, an American doctor who was helping some kids go to the U.S. for medical care. And this was in uh, um, Bethany on the Mount of Olives. And I was there to visit Lazarus's tomb. And as I was walking away, I said to myself, yeah, that's, that's a Reader's Digest kind of story. And, and I stopped and said, it really is a Reader's Digest story. I turned around, went back, wrote down some notes. When I got back to the States, I sent a letter, a blind letter off the Reader's Digest, and incredibly, they wrote back and gave me a, a contract to come and write this story for them to come back to Israel. So the story was never published, but for the next five years, in the eyes of the Israeli government, I was the Reader's Digest correspondent in Israel. Wow, <laughs> so, wow. that's wild. <laughs> that is wild. And it, so you had, you had no medical background 
professionally no, 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 uh, no, no. education did you study anything to do with medical not at all in fact i stayed as far away from hospitals and doctors as <laughs> i could had as many home births as my wife would allow us and, uh, and such so <laughs> she had the same kind of attitude to hospitals as most people we don't want to go <laughs> yeah i don't no interest in medical ministry at, at all so how was it through seeing about this guy and sort of uh going with reader's digest to write this article about this person was that kind of the door that moved you towards the medical scene or how did you jump into that section you know in, in hindsight uh, maybe it prepared the way i didn't make that connection at the time um when we landed in israel i i studied hebrew for a few months in one of the ulpans where you can intensively learn the language and i read one morning uh, this was right when the the Soviet Union had mysteriously and suddenly uh, collapsed and the Jews were free at last and hundreds of thousands were flooding into Israel. I read one morning, uh, hey, some Christians, Christian friends of Israel have opened a center in Jerusalem to, to help these people who were arriving absolutely penniless with nothing. So I wandered in there and see what's happening and of course got drawn right into to helping and ended up for several years, uh, and this was right where my heart was. I was very focused on God's restoring the people of Israel. He's regathering them according to the prophets. He's made beautiful promises to them, where to comfort them and encourage them, where to acknowledge our debt that they have given us everything precious to us, the word of God and the Messiah. And uh, so I'm very happily doing that. And uh, their hearts are really touched by, by what's happening. Remember, Babushka's weeping and saying, we always thought the whole world hated us. <laughs> Nobody cared about us. And to be able to say, yes, followers of Jesus, uh, we are your brothers and sisters and we love you and God has a good future for you. It was just, a, I loved doing that. So I wasn't thinking of anything else until one morning a Ukrainian woman came in with her 13-year-old son, Andre. And they weren't immigrants, they weren't Jewish, uh, but they had somehow come into Israel trying to save his life. He had leukemia, needed a bone marrow transplant. So the mother sat across from me and said, my son's dying, they, they can help him, but they want $64,000 in Hadassah Hospital and we don't have any money, can you help us? So it's another impossible thing to contemplate. I mean, she was one of dozens of families waiting in line to talk to me that morning, and we were giving each one a couple hundred dollar grant to buy furniture or, or medical textbooks or dental care. And um, so I didn't know how to politely send her away. <laughs> so I said, eh, let me go down to the hospital and I'll talk to the doctors and come back tomorrow. Um, I think I probably had the idea a lot of stories aren't really true. And if I go to the hospital, I'll find out it isn't as, as bad as she's saying. Um, so I got to Adasa that afternoon and found the professor who ran the bone marrow program. And he, he said to my chagrin, it's all true. This boy will die in two months. I think we can save him. But I have to tell you one thing, that boy could be dying in the doorway of our emergency room and we won't let him through the door until the last dollar has been paid. 
not that, not that we like it that way, but you need to understand the reality. This is very expensive treatment, and if we threw open the doors, the whole world would be on our doorstep. So God, God bless the people of Israel for the way they speak the unvarnished truth yeah. to you sometimes. <laughs> I was kind of shocked. You know, we Americans, we would have said, oh, maybe, possibly, let's see. Oh, he just said, <laughs> he, he said the reality. And uh, I needed to hear that because uh, I had to ask myself some hard questions. Is, is that really the way the world is? That we have medical care that could save this beautiful boy and we will withhold it from him. He's right here in front of us because of his background. Um, and the words of Jesus have been working on me in small ways. Give to the one who asks from, from you. Don't turn him away. And so I had, you know, I'd been learning that with the last, $50 in my billful and somebody asking me for help. And, but now here was a big ask and what to do. But because of the word of God, the next morning, the mother came back in and I was able to say, look, I don't know how we can help you, but let's pray. Let's share the story. Let's see what God can do. I would just offer that testimony to every one of us when we're confronted with these impossible situations, instead of just closing the door ourselves, because we don't see how it could ever happen, let's can at least pray and open the door and say, let's see what God can do. It's on him. It's not on us. And uh, it was beautiful. Within a month, something about saving an innocent child's life unites people from all kinds of backgrounds. Would never agree on anything, but they can agree that boy deserves to live. And it was, you know, mostly religious, uh, Zionist, uh, Jewish women who joined with us. And they, they said the same thing. How could you leave that boy to die? And actually, they were from the Vitzo organization and, uh, and had connections. They basically ran the Hadassah Hospital. <laughs> so, but they got on the case of the director and said, how could you? You've got to help that boy. You've got to lower your costs. And... So donations were coming in. Um, an important piece of that, we, you know, five loaves and two fishes, give whatever little bit you have, and the Lord will multiply that. Just give what you have. And so we, we trusted God with that. These partnerships were forming. Within a month, the boy is accepted for treatment. Uh, he comes and lives with us. He puts his trust in God going into this, this whole thing. And uh, he gets, most of all, the message your life is as valuable as anybody else. And what a healing message that is. Whether a child lives or dies, if a family knows that they've been treated like they mattered, that's such a, a balm for the heart, I think. And uh, that's, uh, that's how it started. And pretty quickly, we realized there's so much potential in these big medical centers in Israel when people are dying in the countries around us. Number two, the hospitals are willing to become a partner and lower the costs. Um, and number three, you know, this is this is an opportunity to to live out obedience to the word of God to, together with the Jewish people in a partnership and to be, help them become a blessing to their neighbors. So it was, uh, I realized at that point, you know, this is, something we ought to continue with. It wasn't a one-off. Um, some other families heard about this and approached us. And 
And then finally, some women who were volunteering with me started going into the Gaza Strip of all places. And for me, as a great lover of Israel, that's the last place I was interested in going. And I had all kinds of stereotypes of how dangerous and unwanted that kind of visit would be. But they came out and said it was incredible. People were so grateful that anyone had come and spiritually open. And they finally shamed me after at least one aborted attempt <laughs> into going into the Gaza Strip. And I was blown away as well because I realized virtually every person I was talking to had never spoken to a follower of Jesus in their lifetime. Uh, there's an unreached people group right on the doorstep of of Jerusalem. And uh, that, that helped to shift my view of what's going on in the Middle East, because I was all Israel-centered, God's restoring, and it's going to be the redemption of the world. Yes. <laughs> but I, I probably was falling for the temptation, to, and all these enemies of Israel, they're obstacles to God's plan. Uh, <laughs> there's no obstacle God can't deal with, but... I also knew he loved unreached people. He loved those humble, sweet people in the Gaza Strip who were so open to us. And we started going in and uh, looking for ways to be a presence of Messiah among our neighbors. I didn't know a word of Arabic. All I knew was Hebrew at that point, and they still loved and accepted us. And uh, that's where I heard about the the Israeli doctor who was starting a program to bring kids for heart surgeries in Israel. And, and I called him up right away and said, what about all these kids in Gaza? Because based on the changing political realities there, so many kids are just being left to die kilometers away from these Israeli hospitals. Can we accept that reality? Um, and the doctor said, no, I, those are exactly the kids I want to reach, but I can't get anyone in Gaza to talk to us. And that's where our calling as, as Gentile Christians, I think, came more into focus for me as well. You know, what are we doing in Israel? What can we offer, uh, actually? There's a little link in the chain, but it's an essential one. I can go into Gaza and find these kids and get them out. And the Lord gave faith to, to basically, we promised to split the costs with the, with the doctor for all these Gaza kids. And... We didn't have anything, but the Lord was had been showing me, step out and trust me and do what I've told you to do, and, and I will provide for you. And, and it just started to, from there. This is 1996, and um, kids have been streaming out of Gaza into Israel for heart surgeries ever since. Um, just had a text before we uh, started talking. Uh, yeah, we'll take that urgent kid tomorrow. We'll bring him. So... Um, Life and death cases, kids who will definitely die if if the hospitals in Israel are not open to them. And uh, the the impact on the family is once you see it, uh, can't walk away from it. So here we are. How many years later? 28, 29 years now. It, wow. it, it says to these parents as well, somebody knows you, somebody notices you, somebody... You're not just passed by because, you know, I should imagine in all the mayhem and chaos that's going on, especially in, in Gaza, that they must feel most forgotten. 
I want to go back to something you said much earlier, that it somehow is in the DNA of the Jewish people to be that light to the nations, to be um, to be there for them. And I can remember when we made a documentary out there, hearing about soldiers, the IDF, who would set up medical centres on the borders of these nations um, so that people, if they could get there, they could help them. Um, and stories of how, um, I think there was one, one for example, where a child needed a bone marrow transplant. I think the mother had got through with them and the mother wasn't compatible. And the IDF sent some of their best soldiers undercover into that neighbouring dangerous country to find a compatible donor and then oh. got them out um, risking their lives, risking their people, and um, got them out in order that they could be a donor for that child. Now, as far as I know, they were not believers. You know, they were probably orthodox. But like you said, there's something in the DNA that says we have to be a help. I mean, like, I mean, in our, as we're recording now, they're one of the first teams to be in in Turkey, which is their enemy, to help. So. It's it's interesting, I find, that you are being in partnership and helping activate what God has already put in these people. Yeah. Would that would that be right? It is, and uh, and they're the ones through whom God taught us about the value of every human life made yeah. in the image of God, and. It was amazing what was happening up on the Syrian border, and uh, yeah. which I think you're describing uh, during the Syrian civil war in the earlier years. And uh, you know, somehow there were there were Christians in the mix there too, weren't there? They were the ones who were going across the border and setting up these clinics, and then the IDF was helping and bringing. So um, there, there's something in this this physical reality that reflects the spiritual reality that we're yeah he's, he's making one new man out of the the two and, and tends to do something beautiful when we uh, when we work together yeah before we move on more with your story that something else that you said that i think is hugely significant that needs a light shining on it you saw your role as a gentile um, as a Gentile Christian believer, whatever you like to call it, you, you saw your role that you could do something the Jewish people couldn't. And I think these days there is a tendency in some of the church, I'm choosing my words very carefully, to wish they were Jewish, to be Jewish, to take on the Jewish identity and somehow lose the fact that we are from the nations and that we are Gentile. And we have a significant role to play, but we need to own who we are and not just try and give it away. I can remember when we were in Jerusalem, um, we were doing um, a premiere of the documentary and right at the end, I, as people were leaving, I got the mic and said, oh, I've forgotten to tell you something. None of us are Jewish. None of us live in the land, not the film crew, not the young people, not us. We, we are Gentiles. We have no connection other than doing this with the land. And it was like the whole room stopped and they said, 
why would you do this? I said, we assumed you were Jewish. We assumed you were because there's a price to be paid for doing these things. We assumed you were. So it's I probably just, the beard as well, that probably. Yeah. <laughs> so I just wanted to, to draw attention to that, that you said, to encourage listeners who are from the nations, who are Gentiles, to lift up your heads, to own who we are, and to live who God intended us to be as one new man with the people of Israel. Would you agree with that? Uh, wholeheartedly. Sometimes I say I'm a, I'm a happy Gentile. I'm a very I'm very happy to be a Gentile <laughs> because, um, because of the freedom. I do believe in ongoing calling of the Jewish people. I believe that though we are united, there's still distinctions. Okay, there's no more Jew or Gentile, male or female. And then Paul, on the other hand, says there's all kinds of distinctions within the life of the church between male and female and between Jew and Gentile. We we still carry these distinct callings. And um, as, as we've already described in the work we're seeing, um, each one is needed and essential and couldn't, couldn't be done without without the other this is god's design and i'm i'm very grateful to be exactly who god created me to be because he's building up a house with both of us together and uh, it wouldn't exist without either one of us so thank god for for exactly who we are um you mentioned about the surrounding nations and people coming from those places to come to israel and and even the the jewish doctor who said that i would love to be able to help but I've got no way of being able to make that connection. And and people around the world, when they hear about Israel, they hear about the surrounding nations, they mostly just hear about the hostilities and the conflicts, the wars that go on. And uh, they don't really hear so much about these kinds of situations. Uh, are there, is there a, an example of someone that you tried to help, but the people there were too scared or they refused to accept the help from Israel, and so therefore nothing was done to help the child? You mean in other countries in the Middle East? where the, Yeah, where or in Gaza, where they said, no, there's no way we can accept this help from Israel, we're just not doing it. You know, I haven't had that problem in Gaza. The Gazans, their destiny is tied with Israel and has been for decades, so... Even with everything that's happened, they they know if I can only get to Israel, I'm going to be taken care of. You know, it's a dream. So, wow. um, I'll mention in passing as well that the uh, the IDF has always, always, always made it possible for those kids to come, even in the worst of times. So, you know, you hear accusations sometimes of blockading and not allowing access to medical care if it's a life and death case there's never been a question uh, in many many years many many kids they always facilitate this for us so i, I need to bear witness to that um in other countries you know there's a whole story uh, that started in gaza and then um i, I was deported from israel at one point <laughs> And um, my Reader's Digest credentials apparently ran out and uh, the Interior Ministry uh, rightfully guarding the Jewish nature of the state. And uh, I'm a guest here, so no criticism. But uh, at some point they said, yeah, you, you can't stay here anymore. You have to you have to leave. And 
there were some secular Israelis who were ready to go to court to fight for me to continue. But I'm there in Ben Gurion Airport, and they're about to put me on a plane back to the U.S. and felt the spirit of God very clearly say, "Don't fight this. Uh, yeah, don't resist this." So I, I turned down this lovely, generous offer. They were about to go to the high court with papers. Uh, but what was happening, you know, from there I bounced back uh, into Jordan for the first time, and I started looking a little bit beyond. I'd been very focused on the Gaza Strip, but and then uh, the second Gulf War broke out. Now we're in 2003, I think, and uh, we were in a place where uh, we were able to launch into Iraq after this war, and what's happening to our neighbors there? This was a whole different thing. There'd never been any contact between Iraq and, and Israel since the Iraqi Jews and the Kurdish Jews came here in 52 or something. Since then, absolute silence and enmity, no, no connection. And what I found there was similar to Gaza. All these kids are just dying. There's no heart surgeries going on. Uh, I didn't have faith for a while that, that they could come to uh, to Israel. So even facilitated some going to India and a few to the States. And, and um, But then one day in the north of Iraq, there's a little video on our website if anybody wants the whole story. It's, it was very beautifully captured in real time. But uh, in, in brief, I'm visiting this American army doctor. He's screening kids. and Somebody lays a newborn baby on the desk in front of him. He gets out a battlefield uh, sonogram device, puts it on her chest, says, oh, she's got transposition of the great arteries. And uh, as he talks, he starts to cry and says, I see kids like this all the time. She needs surgery in two weeks or she's not going to make it. And I, I don't have anywhere to send them. And uh, I'm thinking of the doctors we work with in Israel. I say, I know they would take care of this baby if only, if only it were possible that she could get to Israel. So here's the decision point. Do I say, too bad it's not possible and close the door? <laughs> or do you say, let's pray and see what God can do? And um, so the whole thing's on the video, but door after door incredibly opened. The cousin of Saddam Hussein, who was still hiding out somewhere at that point, uh, gets on the phone with the Israeli doctor and they're talking about, what are we going to do to save this baby? And see how it brings people together. <laughs> it's, it's incredible. And uh, she made it to Israel. It was a huge international thing because it never happened before. And since then, since 2003 now, so many kids are coming from, uh, from Iraq. To get back to your question, at, at first, we had good numbers from the south of Iraq, from Baghdad, from the Shiite areas. Uh, but then it got to be an issue. There was some opposition uh, from religious scholars in Iraq who said this is uh, for this is forbidden for our enemy to be saving the lives of our children. And it went to the Iraqi Parliament, and you know they were all giving speeches about how this has to be stopped. I saw a report on the Iraqi uh, television uh, which noted the irony of that. They said. At the end of the report, yeah, it's why is it only our enemy is willing to save our children? And uh, and in, in response to that, our work in Baghdad uh, dried up. But what's going on in the north of Iraq? Uh, 
who are the Kurdish people? And why do they love Israel for some mysterious reason? And why are they so ready to come here? And uh, so since 2003, um, we've learned a lot about the Kurds, and uh, they're flowing in and out of uh, Israel. And uh, they're probably about half of the kids we do here are from the Kurdish region of northern Iraq now. Wow. Wow. So bring us up to date, right? When we started, you said, oh, I'm in a new facility we've got um, up in Jerusalem. Can you can you give us a 2022-23 update on what is going on with you? Sure. So the first years, we were very close partners with the Save a Child's Heart organization that, that we mentioned. Yeah, wonderful partners. And... Uh, over some time, uh, their capacity was, meaning some kids were being turned away, their limited capacity. Since then, they've opened a big, beautiful new hospital, and they've increased their capacity. But, but we started uh, working with the biggest hospital in Israel, Sheba Medical Center, outside Tel Aviv. And they've been incredible partners. They're, you know, we talked about Israeli hospitals lowering the costs. So Sheba's taking more than half of the the normal Israeli price on themselves. So we bring 40-something percent for a child's life. Um, practical terms, that means for us, we can see a child's life saved for about $10,000. Is a child's life worth $10,000? And um, so they've... And you know what? We've had kids... We had a child uh, just go home last month after 300 days in the hospital there. And um, basically, the accountants don't like it, but basically, <laughs> we still just pay the $10,000. So what is that, uh, $30 a day for that child? Uh, it's miraculous that, that they and the, the doctors were fighting. We don't want to send this child away until she's well enough to go back to Gaza. So Sheba's been a beautiful partner in the Hadassah Hospital, historic Hadassah here in Jerusalem. You remember the War of Independence and how the convoy of Hadassah doctors and nurses were ambushed and massacred. And that's left a deep, deep, deep memory in the Jewish people. Um, um, but Hadassah is... Uh, very open to treating their neighbors' kids, and um, they've started accepting more and more kids. Um, and in response, we've uh, we've just rented this uh, a new big building here, it's four stories, um, to uh, to allow these uh, these mothers and kids to stay here very close to the hospital. We're hoping, God willing, our cooperation with them will will grow. Um, so we have a big house in Jerusalem and a very big house in Ashdod, which is mostly taking care of the families going to the Sheba Medical Center near Tel Aviv. So are these houses predominantly for families who have their kids being treated? Is this also a place for aftercare? Um, what do you do in your facilities? Yeah, so um, the families come and uh, there's usually a week or two or three of testing and CTs and catheterizations before a surgery, and they don't need or want to be in the hospitals. So we we need a place to care for them. And 
I, I will share this because this is really important to, to what what's happening here is um, we're seeking to make these these homes uh, little communities, little communities of faith. So we have a team of volunteers from the nations and um, we're doing life together. We're attempting to be a discipling community together. We're, we're not just running around crazy all day getting kids to the hospitals, but we start every day with two hours of um, prayer and worship and reading the scriptures together with the, the question always at the end of the day, what did we just hear that's going to change the way we live today? Um, how do we become better disciples of, of the Messiah? And uh, that's been a, uh, a great experience, um, great opportunity to grow. I know this is close to the DNA of, of, of your ministry. And uh, how do we uh, transmit to the next generation the things that the Lord has been showing us? And how do we learn from them as well? So these aren't meetings where somebody's teaching and these young people are supposed to be taking notes. No, we're reading scriptures and saying, Spirit of God, speak through this body. And, and I want to hear him speak through this 19-year-old uh, into our lives as well. And we do experience that. So uh, the Spirit of God is, is our teacher. And, uh, and then we bring these Muslim families into that sort of community basis. And, uh, you know, we're very careful that they should never feel we brought them here for anything other than the healing of their child. But once they understand that and understand our hearts about that, we have total freedom to be who we are, which is followers of Jesus. And they, they see and understand that. And so we're, we're all learning from each other as well. And uh, I think it's eye-opening for, for all of us. Mm. Yeah, that's really good to hear. I think this is really interesting. Uh, and there are lots of, different things along the way that we could have, could have dived into very challenging um, too yeah really challenging and uh, I think for a lot of people as well who maybe they're not very aware of what happens in Israel maybe they've never been experienced it some of the stuff you've said is probably quite eye-opening in terms of how much they want to care for and look after people from surrounding nations uh, and I love that the work you're doing isn't just trying to care for people on a, on a physical level, but also on a spiritual level. Um, so Jonathan, thank you so much for, for coming and share uh, about some of your background, but also the work you're doing for people listening. If you're watching this again, go check out the link, see the work that they're doing. Uh, maybe you can contact them through the website, see how you can be uh, supportive or, or get involved, maybe support, um, maybe even going out there and, uh, being a part of the, the care of the people in these facilities. So, uh, Jonathan, thank you so much. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, Jonathan, so much. Thank you for your interest and uh, call on us. We, we're not just looking for support. We want to give support to those who the Lord is calling to this land. Uh, you have friends here who will get behind you and pray with you and come and stay with us, whatever, whatever we can do. Um, we you. feel very privileged to be allowed to serve here and uh, the Lord asks us to turn around and show the same kindness to others that he's shown to us. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode. Remember if it inspired you, share it with others so we can see more people engaged in this community.